This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WGDR. back in the grass. You can't see a thing except for the clear blue sky. A few cotton wool clouds. Higher and higher in the great dome of the sky. Filling it with song. It's a story, but that's why I'm here, to tell you stories. So, picture the scene. See, out there somewhere is like, you know, Jack Armstrong, Superman. It's all just as real as you are, and I am. <laughs> and the Lord and the angels in heaven, how about them? What do you think, they're the figment of somebody's imagination? Huh. Nobody makes up anything. There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind on WTDR. Wow! Some of the scenes you will witness may appear to border on fantasy. Look, yes. There's the images. Everybody quiet. Just listen. It's happening. I can feel it. How would you explain it? It's beautiful. God, it's God. I see God. Are you sitting comfortably? Put your seatbelts on because you're in for a howling ride. I am the narrator, the voice that guides the blind. Following up with your ears, be your mind, and allow me to take you back and forth through time. To explain the significance of things you may think insignificant now, but won't. Good morning, I'm Tony Epstein, and this is the Magical Mystery Tour, a show that seeks out and explores new ideas, new ways of seeing, and new ways of being and relating in the world, with an eye towards creating a more beautiful world and talking with people whose work and very presence are creating that. There's a wonderful evolution of education happening at Goddard College these days. Faculty and students are engaging in the great magic of learning together, inspiring and nurturing each other in wonderful, exciting, and profound ways. Today in the studio with me is Ken Mangano, 
He's a student here at Goddard, and he's studying death and dying. And we're going to hear about his journey along that road. Hey, Tonio. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> nice to be here. So how did you discover Goddard, and why did you come here? Uh, I'm fortunate enough that I work with, uh, not in close proximity, but we, we work for the same company, uh, an alumni, um, Evan. And uh, Evan talked to me about it, Goddard, mentioned Goddard, and uh, I looked it up online. And my first question of, uh, of Evan was, is it as idyllic as the website appears to be um, that uh, that there's this uh, beauty within the website that's, that that comes through, and knowing websites are a certain amount of sales, I had to you know, check out to see if it was as wonderful as as it was portrayed to be, and Evan assured that it was, and that kind of sold me right there. So now that you've You've now completed your first first residency. First residency. Yeah. What's what's your verdict? Uh, website's not even doesn't even do it justice. Really? <laughs> the experience, yeah, the experience is far greater than than the pretty pictures and and the uh, the nice words about how learning is done here and our own personal responsibility in the process. Well, tell me about it. <laughs> I've, I've never gone to Goddard. Uh, there, uh, it's one of those things we talked about that it's, it's kind of hard to put into words, a lot of the experience. Um, the, the learning process itself uh, is brilliant and certainly wonderful for me. It requires a lot of responsibility. Um, you're, you're on your own. You develop it on your own. Um, what your plan is for the semester and... and um, then you're held accountable to it, and uh, you get to tweak it as need be uh, throughout the semester. But for me, for the most part, I'm happy with where I'm going and um, looking forward to uh, starting the work, I guess, tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, so what was it like being here? Um, what I'm trying to get at is what was so wonderful and magical about it for you well, that exceeded well, what you thought it might be well first is the, uh, vermont's gorgeous this is a beautiful place um it's 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 a safe place uh that that feeling was came on real fast that that uh you're surrounded by people who Many of who have whom have been through some stuff, um, and so there's a level of maturity. There are the artists and the uh, philosophers and the wisdom that surrounds you, from young and old, uh, that I was able to lean on. Uh, for me, you know, I think everybody's process is a little bit different. Um, I know everybody's process is a little bit different, and their experience here. Uh, for me, the first couple of days, I had to process some stuff, and um, you know, from here and from before, uh, one of the one of the funny things I thought I could pull off was uh, processing some grief over the week, sort of divvying it up in an intellectual way as I went through that process. I uh, I uh, put my dog down the day before um, leaving for here, 
and of course was very busy the night after uh, to get ready to leave first thing the next morning. And uh, so I hadn't really even gone into that big time. And uh, of course realized very quickly that that, you know, one doesn't intellectually uh, get to play with that process of grief. It, it has its own life and uh, works, its way th- works its way through. And it was nice that so quickly I was able to indulge that, um, not that I had a lot of choice at, po- at points, but uh, indulge that in a place where I felt safe and supported by people that I didn't know. So how did that work? How were you able to do that? Well, uh, you know, I, I texted some people early on that, that that I didn't know, you know, was this a college residency or a transformative retreat? Um, it's, and it's it's both. Uh, you know, you have, you have the space here to do some work. And I got to do that. And when you say work... What what do you mean? Because you have to realize that right. many of the people listening have not no. experienced Goddard from the inside. They don't know what it's yeah. like. I haven't experienced being at Goddard in that way. But what I'm hearing sounds very much like something that I have experienced. But I want you to put it into words. Right. It was a lot of it was work on myself. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, one of my processes I had to I guess deal with was uh, getting out of my own way. Um, you know, I, re- I remember in one conversation talking about uh, getting, you know, round and round and round uh, and blurting out that somehow I felt that the the gifts that the universe has given me, there was, I had to discover the currency for which to pay for it. And, you know, there's, there's a yes and a no to that. <laughs> um, it's, it's, there, it's not a required payback. Um, but do I have a responsibility, of course, to to you know pay it forward? Of course. So it's not pay back; it's pay forward. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about it in that way. Mm. Um, but I was trying to, you know, like, what do I do? What do I do? How do I, how do I, you know, return everything that's been given? Um, you know, including this this whole experience. So, what is the structure here, or what is what does Goddard offer? that allows you to have this experience, to go through this internal process, because it, it's obviously setting something up, within some kind of a structure within which you can have this experience. What is that? That's what I'm trying to get at. And that's the part that you can't really put into words. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, but that's what we do uh, on this show. We try to put, <laughs> we, we we try to put yeah, into words what right. <laughs> essentially can't be put into words. Exactly. Um, Goddard, I, I, I realized one of the things that, that, that caught me is that I, I didn't pick Goddard. Goddard picks you. Um, if you allow yourself to be exposed to it, you find out if it's right or not. Um, and... I didn't even have to be here to to know that that this was a, a good situation for me and and how my path has has come along throughout the years. Um, I have the advantage of age over a lot of students here. Um, 
So and we'll, we'll talk about that, that a- a- advantage as well yeah. later. But. Yeah, <laughs> and have so I've walked a long, long path, and and so I recognize some things uh, very easily um, when they're gonna when they're gonna resonate. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was the experience of Goddard. Um, I knew that it was where I was supposed to be, um, and and I don't think that that's that's necessarily age related. Um, it helped me because um, I may not have the fastest learning curve, <laughs> so my experience has backed that up to 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 move it along. Um, I've met some incredibly wise nineteen and twenty year olds this week. Me it kind of blows me away. Last week, yeah, yeah. <laughs> blows me away. Yeah, Blo- you know, um, I don't remember being anywhere near as wise at that age. <laughs> me, me too. I- I, I have that same experience of being slow and dense, yeah. but I was very fortunate because I was gifted with these amazing avenues right. that would facilitate my growth and allow for my density. Yeah, yeah. Um, in a I, I, in a maybe not that gentle way, right. but <laughs> I you know I honor every experience I've had to get to where I am, of course, because hey, I wouldn't be me without that. Um, but. Um, that said, yeah, there was. I took the long road a lot of times to get to the to get to the lesson. Um, yeah. Well, you're and you're a dancer, so it's like no, I'm not a dancer. Well, you used to dance. Oh, I used to. You know, yeah, I was a club kid. <laughs> right. So, so there's a lot of this two steps forward, one step back, yeah. one step forward, two yeah. steps back kind of a thing. Yeah. The straight path is rarely yeah. straight at and, all. And. Depending on the substance at the time, and maybe a trip and a fall. (laughs) (laughs) You tried to seamlessly work into the (laughs) into the choreography of it all. And it all it it really it all is seamless when you look back on it. While you're in it, it's like a a wreckage. Yeah, Um, I (laughs) I had that Oprah aha moment. Um, For me, it was a motorcycle hitting a deer. (laughs) With you on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh, and and that's when I sort of started looking at things a little bit differently, uh, and the lessons became a little bit easier. Yeah. When was that? And what was what ha- oh. what was that aha? Um, How old were you? When was that? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. I was probably thirty ish, um, uh, and. Uh, yeah, I, I, re, I was working at a restaurant, living in the country and working at a restaurant, uh, cooking, and, and uh, I remember being, doing 50 on this country road and uh, looking up, and there was, uh, I don't know, maybe a seven-point book in front of me. And the only choice I remember making uh, was, how do I do the least harm to the deer? Uh, the, you know, impact was, was happening. Uh, there was, I had no control at that point. Um, uh, of course, the deer was gone when, when I came to 20 minutes later and the ambulance arrived, and that, but I pretty much walked away unscathed. Uh, a little bit of scrape on my elbow, but that was about it. But it allowed me to, I don't know, wake up to, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> and and that's, that's a large part of, uh, at that point, I, I started getting into A Course in Miracles, which is its own little spiritual path, and did that for about 10 years, um, seriously. Um, still refer to it often, um, but that's part of that theoretical basis is that um, at some point you fall to your knees. 
you know um same thing with aa when you know when when you hit rock bottom sort of thing rock bottom can have levels <laughs> so so uh you know it's it's whatever time that you go there's there's got to be a better way so it's kind of a, a surrendering of of ego as god yeah yeah exactly exactly that's that's a hard one to let go yeah it is it is i mean especially it, for us humans especially in the days of selfies and <laughs> all that was a concept i just don't get <laughs> i not only do i not get them but i don't have the capacity to do them <laughs> I can't even, uh, you, know, and you, you, you even get to buy a stick so you could do it better <laughs> we had somebody in the studio last week who who had a stick yeah. i I'm allergic to cameras, yeah. so I, I would cringe at the thought of a selfie. Yeah, yeah. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting. It's interesting how we've evolved in the last just couple of years around this technology and how uh, it seems society in general to me um, has become even more self-obsessed. Um, Gosh, they talk. You know, the me generation was a while ago. <laughs> they they grew up. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe that might have been my generation. I'm not sure. But uh, they talked about that in in gosh in the eighties. You know that we became the me the me generation, and mm-hmm. and um, now it's almost a given. You know, we're, we're we're part of it is is American culture. I think. Um, you know, we're very proud of our individualism and and hold on to that very dearly and ego ego is sanctified yeah and how to express that you know is is you know it becomes harder and harder um because of the there's only limited ways um so we all end up looking the same anyway uh, but you know we're, we're but we swearing tell, we're individuals we we, we create wonderful <laughs> yeah. stories yes which you could also call selfies that's true that's true. And and it's all about making ourselves look good. Yeah. At least to ourselves. Welcome to we're Facebook. We're trying to do it to everybody. <laughs> we're trying to convince everybody else of that, but right. but ultimately we're yeah. we're really just trying to convince ourselves. Yeah. So um, we can feel good about ourselves. Yeah, which seems like the point of Facebook to me. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I don't see too many people who deeply share hard stuff. It's you know, there's a lot of pictures of a good life, you know, and everybody's having a good time. And, and those little moments yeah. <laughs> that maybe you don't need a million of. Yeah, and, and that we that day. we get to look at their lives and and or that 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 portrayal and and uh, and want that, you know, because uh, <laughs> because if we look at it, our lives aren't our Facebook pages. You know, we do the same thing. We put up the best parts and the smiles and. Um, uh, we don't get to. We don't. We don't want to show the, the little bit of the dark side, you know. Much less the lot of the dark side. Um, people will judge us. You know, we might not be part of the club anymore. And we judge ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And we may uh, not allow ourselves to be in our own club. Yeah. Another little <laughs> shout out to uh, Constance Augusta for you know pointing out uh, that uh, I. Uh, I mentioned to a couple people this week that uh, you know I present in a certain way that uh, that's pretty mainstream at times. Um, my little V-neck sweaters and you know straight leg jeans and all that. Um, and I felt the need to make sure people understand that I'm more than that. That that I'm not how I present sometimes. And 
she asked if you know for whom was I mentioning that <laughs> that for me mm. and uh, so I got to look at that thanks Constance <laughs> um, that was a that was a good lesson there so so yeah a lot of little lessons throughout the week um, certainly um, doing the work that that's required uh, you know for the week developing a study plan brings up stuff um, allows you to explore things within yourself as well as you know within the topic that you're the subject you're studying or, or the areas of the subject you're studying and we'll get to that in a moment yeah. but what what is it about the, what's the sense of community here that we're all in it together um, you know we are brothers and sisters here big time and and i've felt that uh, all the differences seem to melt away um we recognize our, our commonalities uh and one of the big ones is is that we all seem to want to affect positive change um, we see the crazy going on out there and for most people a lot of people during residency it can be a very insulated experience Unless you force yourself, we don't see the news of what's gone on in the world around us for this eight days. Um, I looked here and there and saw that uh, it hasn't changed, <laughs> um, sadly. Uh, you know, um, maybe, maybe because we're, <laughs> we're tucked away doing our work right now uh, here. Um, uh, so the idea that there's some crazy stuff out there that, that needs to be addressed in the way we're called to address it, which is all differently. Some write, some dance, some through music, some teach. Um, the, there's tons of people that are, that are looking at health and sustainability and um, you know, just all the areas of, of life where there's some dysfunction. Um, how do we... How do we imprint ourselves for good on that on those areas that, that call to us? Um, you know, I'm really grateful in some ways that you know there's such a diversity of of uh, of, of things that call to us um, that we I get to see at Goddard. Um, kind of got bummed that the 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 fine arts um, and writing program you know they were kind of off on their own we and had the original idea when i came here that we were all kind of working the same process together and and which program are you in i'm with health uh health and sciences mm -hmm. health arts and sciences so then it was so. kind of a fracturing of the community so well not a fracturing that we have our we have specific parts that we need to focus on in our in our in our callings uh so so that um, not everything applies to everybody. There are things that you know are community wide for sure. There's plenty of that, um, but there you know there is some work to be done uh, on your education. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's not you know just all kumbaya and <laughs> holding hands and, and puppy piles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there's 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 work to be done if you want to affect that change, and and mm -hmm. and part of that is your education. Um, I couldn't do what I want to do without having the discipline to learn what I need to learn to do it well. Um, you know, uh, I used to think when I, uh, I uh, when I was ordained as an interfaith minister and asked to speak and fill in 
different churches here and there, metropolitan community churches and things, um, that, uh, you know, oh, spirit will just move me. <laughs> you know, I'll know what to talk about when I stand up. And, and while there's a part of that that's quite valid, uh, inspiration is, is a part of it. Um, preparation, yeah, it makes a difference. <laughs> I found learning how to speak well in, in front of people um, made it so much easier <laughs> mm-hmm. and made my message, which may or may not have been judged uh, inspired, um, I said divine, wow, um, inspired uh, to some extent, um, made it easier to understand because I was presenting in a way that people understand. Um, I, I was thoughtful about how that message needed to be shared. That's a really interesting thing that, that I wrestle with myself, and I observe in other people how well they're doing that, how, how well people observe and tune into their audience, who mm-hmm. they're talking to, whether it's a, one person or whether it's a group. And that, yeah. that's, a, that's an art form in itself, yeah. how to read, particularly read a group. But even reading an individual that you're talking to, to be able to know what, not only what to say, but what language to use in order to communicate it. Exactly. So exactly. that they will most likely get it yeah. from, uh, where, from where we happen to be inside ourselves. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've already found just, you know, in our conversation right now that uh, I, I've looked at the ways I want to, might express something, uh, you know, a thought. Um, and oh, that's probably not the wording I want to use on radio. <laughs> Thank you for thinking of that because that that is important yeah. here. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but feel free to use synonyms ah, that work, okay, <laughs> and variations that can still express the feeling quality of those words, which I personally think are so important. I agree. I agree they are, which is why I was tempted to go there. <laughs> um, uh, it's funny, I have uh, Amazon Prime probably. Uh, I, I saw you know one of two of the pilot episodes of a, a show called uh, The Good Place, I think it is. Um, and and uh, uh, the premise is, is that when you die, this, this young woman died and ended up in The Good Place, and there are the not so good places um and you got she got to see the video of all the from from a a, a, a poc st- um, a viewpoint of all the good that she did and she was a lawyer that helped the poor and and went to the third world countries and fed people and all these wonderful things only to uh admit that that was not her <laughs> at all and she was mistakenly in the good place and was not that great a person um so, so yeah, I got to you know. I I thought it was kind of funny that that um that we we uh, have come here and I get to look at all this good work, but uh, that I want to do, but the preparation, you know, the background story plays into it, and you know, some of what got me here isn't the prettiest of stories. Um, you know, it served the purpose. It did what it was supposed to do. So you know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I don't have many regrets at all. Um, I mean, I think of one on just because I didn't treat somebody as well as I should have when I was pretty young. Um, but uh, as but far it's what as, we do with yeah, that. It's how yeah. 
It's how we respond to those things. Yeah. I mean, I still cringe at certain memories yeah. that I have, but hopefully we learn something from yeah. it and it yeah. changes. And that can take a while to learn those, you know, to learn what it is in there. And you know, I've said to a couple of people here, you know, so what, you know, they, who have expressed some some quality of of questioning uh, or or not happy with a certain circumstance that may have played out so you know what is the lesson and you know oh you see that obvious one it's not that one <laughs> you know look forward look forward down there's a, there's there's a couple levels to that but there are lessons which is a very course in miracle sort of perspective that one of the lessons in that is you know all things are lessons god would have me learn um it uh, uses very traditional terminology in non-traditional ways, but um, for those who don't use that word, I'm cool with that, too. Uh, so I try not to use that word myself yeah, just yeah. because it's so loaded. It, yeah, it has a lot to it. So so um, you can either perform a litany of names <laughs> or just or source up, or, or energy up, or whatever. Or universe or, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but that particular path is very Christic in its terminology. Um, you know, like I said, traditional and in, in used in non-traditional ways. Um, but I see how language. I know even when I've used some quotations from it or or some lessons from it, I've kind of changed the language to be a little bit more friendly um, to who we are now. Um, so so a little more inclusive. <laughs> Because I know those those that that language has a lot of power, and um, and when it comes to religion and spirituality, even more so, uh, because many of us were pretty wounded uh, by our birth religions, um, and some continue to be. So I, I try to make sure um, that my my personal use of of language is much more inclusive. Uh, so that so that everybody kind of gets that, you know, I'm not speaking a doctrine by any means, and also that they can actually hear the the essence yeah. of what you're saying, yeah. yeah, and not go off into knee jerk land, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, and and you know, our, I mean, our society we're seeing this play out now that that nobody goes deep enough into these things, um, where in my studies of world religions. Um, for, for becoming an interfaith minister, it, there were two levels. There was the academic level um, that I learned uh, everything about it, including its uh, the esoteric sides of it, uh, and there was an experiential level as well. So, you know, for, for Islam, I, I did the, the ritual hand washing. I learned that, um, or, or the, the, the washing of the body, actually, um, in preparation for, for um, prayer. Uh, we had in people we had any moms and rabbis and people who were, who were living um, they lived their paths their chosen paths and so got to experience things and learn about things on a much deeper level to get to the point where you know the essence is all the same we we've lost a little bit as you know as as we as we go go further away from the etheric levels, we uh, uh, into the, the the more dense levels, um, we lose so much, uh, which which is kind of unfortunate. And you know, I we look around the world right now, and that's most people, unfortunately, or, or a lot of the people, um, are are at this place where they don't get 
a deeper meaning. Where were you learning all of this? Uh, I joined an interfaith community in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia, uh, called Pebble Hill. And a couple people there had done a program and become interfaith ministers through a program that was offered by St. John the Divine in New York, which is you know, pretty big in the interfaith community. Uh, so th- they, after a number of years, had decided to develop a school of sacred ministries themselves. And, and somewhat modeled after that. Um, you know, we always tweak things as we create the next level. And uh, so there were a couple of people that, that, that made this, you know, brought, brought this into, into reality. And, and uh, I was very fortunate to be part of the first class at the time. Um, so I think I had some advantages over the next classes in that it was so new and exciting and we didn't know what we were doing at all. And, uh, and how long ago was this? This was in 1998. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because right after that, uh, right after I was ordained, um, I moved to New Mexico and lived there for 12 years and had a pretty great experience there. I'm speaking with Ken Mangano. He's a Goddard student studying death and dying. And this is the Magical Mystery Tour. And tell me about that. (laughs) (laughs) So, let's see, as a person who has lived with HIV for uh, 34 years, I don't know, 1982. You mean um, in your body? Yes, in my body. Um, uh, There was a part of me that needed to serve within that community. And... um, Having just finished with the interfaith community and and being ordained or an interfaith minister and kind of high on the whole spiritual realms thing, um, I found a, a faith-based, a small faith-based group of a couple of misfit guys that um, did some housing in in New Mexico in Albuquerque and uh, joined that community. It was very loosely, very loosely tied to the Catholic Church. Um, it was a brotherhood. Uh, they didn't. The, the church itself did not support us in any way, financially or otherwise. Uh, but they called themselves a Christian brotherhood, um, and it was a you know, like I said, just a, a ragtag couple guys, very different, very interesting people that uh, were brought together with a common goal of providing housing. Um, by the time I joined. In 2000, uh, HIV had changed significantly. People were living already living longer, um, you know, since 95, since the advent of protease inhibitors and uh, all of that. So, um, certainly not to, to how, how well things are going now, but um, cert- people weren't dropping dead right and left any longer for a couple of years. And so it had transformed from what had started out as hospice or as a housing program for end of life which is what I was interested in joining, um, to becoming a, just a, a housing program for a couple of people. And um, that was being done and done better um, through the secular community, through, through uh, um, uh, community-based organizations and, and uh, AIDS organizations. So uh, I actually closed down the house after a year or so because it was redundant. Uh, it, was doing, it was done much better by others, and that allowed me to start my little journey in New Mexico, um, which went into doing HIV prevention and education in, uh, with a tribal consortium 
and working with the, with um, seven Pueblo tri- non-Pueblo tribes throughout New Mexico and Southern Colorado, um, and then eventually working for the Department of Health, so in the STD clinic there. And is this at all connected to what you're the work you're doing here at Goddard? It's yeah. There's there's that thread that's followed through from ministry school on, or or maybe even from the 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 uh, the, the motorcycle accident. Um, that I have this fascination in some ways um, with uh, with death and dying. That I think we could do it better. Uh, there is a movement. There are lots of people out there who share my ideas around this, that we all could have positive transitions, um, wh- how, whatever that looks like to you. And what do you mean by a positive transition? Um, it's a, well, we, all, you know, we know that's, that the, this is the universal experience. Um, we, we all we, We've all been born, we all die um, if, if, we're, if we're on the planet. And uh, um, so trying to optimize some circumstances around it, um, trying to make sure that that people who are in the dying process feel loved and supported and validated and comfortable and dignified and um, can go through whatever they need to go through. I don't know what dying is. Um, you know, I, I just read an article about one of the one of the central problems around it uh it's uh people who have experienced near-death experiences uh and these um know what happens after they stop breathing but what about that little bit of time before and and ndes tend to be tend to happen suddenly and and so it's not the chronic illness process that most people will go through um people tend to get less communicative um, as they as they slip away, as they they di- they divest of, of worldly things, and it's it happens in layers, and it can start happening, you know, early, where the stuff doesn't matter anymore. At some point, the people stop mattering, and although they may be conscious, um, there are people uh, who go through the dying process who. Yeah, they're conscious, but they're they're kind of glazed over. They're they're already looking at what's next. Um, they don't tell us what that is. <laughs> Maybe already have a foot in the yeah in the afterlife or 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 the other world. Yeah, or, whatever that or is. whatever that is, yeah, yeah. or and whatever it isn't. Exactly, exactly. Um, but once they di- once they divest, when once they they um, stop communication, we stop knowing what the process looks like. Um, the point for me is to be, enable that process uh, because it seems to be something that a lot of people go through. There's no one model around what dying looks like or what good dying looks like for that matter. Um, but there are certain things that, that seem to happen to a, a lot of people that that you know have been interpreted or recognized and... and um, I like the idea of being able to support some of those processes, um, or all of them, actually. So I'm curious, are you talking about just supporting people and maybe not not interrupting or disturbing a natural process that is occurring in 
a particular person's dying, or are you talking about something else? Both. Um, uh, what was done before, you know, Western medicine took over not that many years ago? How did people die? It was it was pretty organic. Um, you know, you died at home. You were surrounded by those that loved you and that you loved, and it was a gentle process. Um, and then you know, Western medicine developed to where we can keep you alive for a lot longer and um, irregardless of quality and keep resuscitating you yeah yeah until they can't do it yeah, anymore yeah and i'm not sure what that m- does on a psychic basis you know that's that's got to mess up a lot of pro- a lot of stuff um on different levels um no matter your belief system um most uh if you it, mo- it, most spiritual paths talk about it you know something after um, what that is varies, um, but being a person who has, uh, who who's grounded in a, in a spiritual practice of my own, um, yeah, for me there is something afterwards, and and I don't need to know what it is. Um, I'll I'll you know get to that party when I get to that party. Uh, but um, what I want to do is make that transition. Peacefully and calmly, and feel loved through the process, and uh, just like a, a lot of people experience seeing those who have passed before them come to help them across, um, that's that's a pretty comforting idea. And getting too involved in it uh, with Western stuff can certainly mess that up. Um, you know that that the way that that can play out. Uh, that's that's comforting and peaceful for those who have passed, and also for those who feel the need to tie up some loose ends. Uh, I saw in my in my father in December just how um, he was very agitated, and I didn't even know some of the stuff that I know now. Uh, it, you know, walking around this is mere days before he died, uh, walking around and and. Uh, seemingly looking for something and you know did you want you know a glass of water do you want this do you want that uh only to have it decided afterwards that he was too agitated and he might fall and hurt himself so let's drug him (laughs) and and he was denied then the opportunity of you know now i recognize that when he was walking around looking for something that it was probably more related to tying up some loose ends um in his life and Although he wasn't verbally very communicative at that point, didn't even give him a chance, you know, to, to express it. Um, you know, he may have been able to, he may not have, his, but we'll never know that. And, I mean, I don't look back on it as a failure. I just look at it that, okay, next person that crossed my path, I'll recognize that and do it differently. <laughs> Another learning experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, in in one of my desires to, to become a deathing doula, um, almost like a midwife to the dying, yeah. um, uh, I've learned the difference now. Midwife tends to have a little bit more medical background than I probably have, uh, or not probably. Um, that uh, that that my job is to support however it's being played out. I don't get to put my systems into it. Um, I can gently. Um, enlighten around some issues uh, the family 
But if they want to hook Grandpa up to the machine, then I, you know, I don't get to say that that's wrong. Um, partly because I don't know. <laughs> it's not my grandfather. I don't know what their wishes might have been. Uh, and and that's part of the work that I'm I'm doing through Goddard is, is exploring this idea, this idea that uh, there are communities that have less support in the process of dying. Um, uh, gay men, transgender, um, may not have a network around them that know what they want um, in those in in the final times, and so. Um, part of it is, is actually being able to inform people as to what their options are and what they need to, you know, to keep get in place so that they can assure themselves a more peaceful transition. Um, it's all about the peace, you know, it's all about, you know, doing, being as gentle with yourself as we try to be in, in our lives, uh, around some things. Opening up yeah. the possibilities. Yeah. Being yeah. aware. Yeah. yeah. So what what are the choices that are that are available to us, particularly for people who don't necessarily have a supportive family or supportive network around them? What what can they do? Well, you know, talking to, to some people within uh, the gay and trans communities, um, I've gotten to see that the conversations of what we would like, you know, especially when we're younger and and our mortality is not in our face as much. Um, now I got had the benefit of having both. Having I was, you know, while young, I got to look at my mortality um, because of the, the, those were the days of of HIV when people died. You know, five years was your was pretty much your limit. So um, uh, I, I, you know, diagnosis meant. You know, looking at these things and what did it mean? And so you've been living with HIV for a long time. Uh, I was diagnosed in '84, and uh, I was infected in '82. Um, I know when I was infected, so um, I had a partner who died uh, at the time. So, so yeah, um, we knew so little. It was. I mean, I look back now, and I'm. And how old were you at that point? Oh gosh, um, <laughs> uh, not not thirty. Okay. Uh, Twenty-five, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I had a partner that was a little bit older, uh, had lived in both New York and San Francisco for right previously to being in Philadelphia. So, so, uh, the two epicenters of the day. And so, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny to see how it, it, you know, so many things are, are, you know, it would be surprised if it didn't happen sort of stuff. So, so, uh, because in those days people died quickly, um, and we knew so little about the process of it. And I mean, there wasn't even, gosh, there was barely a, a word for it. Um, things looked very differently then, and uh, so so now um, I see in in the couple communities that I'm really drawn to to inform uh, that we need to take some things seriously and and take control of things, and this is not. Something like, like you know, oh, you know, if I if I die, I want you there, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, it's I I want to have this on paper that's legal. That you know, I want you in charge because I don't know what my family may do. You know, they may take away the identity that I've you know that is mine now. 
uh, and I've seen it happen, uh, and that's that's that was the part that really shook me. Was I saw a young trans woman who was murdered um, have her identity disappear in death uh, because of her family, and uh, and that's not who I want to be. <laughs> you know, I don't. I, I I want people to know that they have choices. Uh, that that doesn't have to happen, um, because I don't know what that looks like next time. You know, as as it progresses, uh, the dying are very aware to some extent of what's going on around them. Um, hearing is the last thing to go. <laughs> so so, um, who knows what conversations in in the final moments are happening that just you know are are so hurtful. Um, to those and uh, and distracting and distracting because I really do think there's a lot of work going on in those final days or moments or weeks whatever it, whatever it is um, that there's some work going on and, and distractions are not good <laughs> you know? and at the very least it's our last opportunity yeah. in this world yeah. so if we we have some things in place you know to protect those parts of ourselves um you know, our, our identity is the part that's, that's you know most important uh, in some ways. Um, that's one less thing to have to deal with. You know, certainly that that would be a major distraction, I would think, um, in the final days, if if that possibility arose in your mind. I, our minds are so powerful. Um, you know, we create realities, and and so when things are introduced into them that that you know might be better left out um, especially in a time so charged as, as the dying process uh, great you know if you can take care of that ahead of time why not you know, um, so and also find ways of protecting maybe not prote- yeah, sort of protecting the space for the person who's dying yeah, rather yeah. than allowing other people who may have their own issues around the dying of this person eclipse their experience right right you know our families our biological families all you know they want to do right but their idea of what doing right is may be very different and they may be so emotionally distraught that they can't even see that yeah yeah and and you know if it's if you've lived a life that's not easily understood by them um or accepted. Yeah, or accepted. Um, I was trying to be more, even more gentle. <laughs> that you know, uh, that you know, they they there is they do love you. Hopefully, um, just not in the way that <laughs> you 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 know that's not helpful. As un- not as unconditionally right. as it. Right, not be. as unconditionally. Yes. Yeah. Um, at that time, some uh, at a time so emotionally charged. They're certainly not going to listen to friends who share everything that they're not happy about. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, you know, we tend to really hunker down into our belief systems when, when that sort of thing happens. And uh, it may be very different from the one that I have now. Um, you know, if, if I'm talking about myself, then, you know, my families might be very different. So for me, I try regularly to communicate about my ideas around things and what I would prefer, and um, I write things down with the idea that I'm very fortunate that I have a family who is there throughout a, a stretch of time so that, you know, I know they'll do what I want because they've been around long enough. I can trust they'll do that. 
not everyone has that opportunity um, to 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 develop to have that trust uh, for those who will be making decisions for you at some point if you're you know if things play out in that way. Right now, we're going through with my mother discussing end of life care as far as what if what if um, what do you want what do you don't want feeding tubes uh, you know hydration respiratory care uh, ventil- ventilators. Uh, Right after my dad died, my mom had a heart issue that was pretty serious and required a pacemaker put in and defibrillator, and uh, it was way freaky for us. Um, you know, so like two months after my dad died, here's my mother, you know, hooked up to a ventilator and um, could have died. And uh, the idea of losing both in such a short period was really kind of crazy um, and and very charged. Uh, so now that she's a lot better and actually better than she ever was. Um, my sisters and I are trying to have discussions with her as far as, um, you know, what do you want, what do you don't want. Um, my father was pretty clear about things, uh, and we were very fortunate that things happened quickly, and we were able to stay in line with exa- everything he wanted. Um, but what I've seen and read is that things can get out of control real fast. You know, I mean, what, what seems like, well, just during this procedure, we're going to put you on a ventilator. Something can happen, and then you've lost the ability to make the decision yourself. Mm. You know, uh, things can snowball. Complications happen all the time. My my one sister's respiratory therapist in a in a long, longer term respiratory uh, uh, people on ventilators for longer than they probably should be, or or were anticipated to be. So you go into the hospital to have a a, a surgery, and and you're on a ventilator for a while. And it's deemed at some point by the insurance companies, amazingly enough, that you know you should be on the ventilator for three days over this, you know, over this surgery. Well, when you can't breathe on your own and you go into the fourth and fifth and sixth day, then you, you are moved to another facility um, for longer term care. And those who never get off of ventilators, there are only a couple places throughout the country where you can live, and and I air quote that. Um, uh, very long term, uh, with the assistance of, uh, of a breathing machine. Um, so my sister li- works in a place where she regularly encounters people who whose prognosis is not the best. Um, things have happened, complications have occurred uh, that weren't anticipated, and so decisions need to be made. Then and so, with my, in my mother's case, we're trying very hard right now to go through all the possible unfortunately um not pleasant situations that may occur circumstances that may pop up and what do you want with this what do you want if this happens sort of thing and and it's a it's an important conversation Mm. because most people don't want to talk about it um it's not a fun conversation most of the time uh Right, everybody's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're trying to make this, like, okay, basically it's when do you want us to pull the plug? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And, uh, How you do you speak think. about the unspeakable? Right, and when when you can, you reach a certain point in, in your path that you can see where the plug is, it's pretty darn close, um, that conversation can get even more um, stressful or, or more unwanted in, in that, uh, or undesirable in that, uh, you know, uh, it's like, wow, I don't know if I want to make that decision right now. <laughs> you know, that's a little too close. What if? Mm. What if could happen tomorrow? Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's for all of us. And yeah. that's why it's a big deal to, you know, kind of have a little bit of a plan as well. So how important is the gr- going through the grieving process and the pre-grieving process? Because there's, there's, a, there's two layers of that that are yeah. very, very important. And is there some value in, in, in working with that grief, starting to work on that grief before, before it gets crazy? Um, be- or as things are deteriorating to the point where you realize... This is death is yeah. death is right around the corner. You know, I mean, because we live so much longer now, and because there are you know uh, a, a couple main ways that that we die in our culture. Um, when it comes to to chronic illness, uh, you know, heart disease and things, it, it's not as fast as as it used to be, and and you know, excluding sudden death um, situations. Uh, in the case of, of, you know, my family, my father required a level of care for the last couple of years. Um, you know, he was not completely independent. Um, and uh, my parents lived, lived alone, and um, my mother did a lot. My mother spent the last couple of years taking care of him and seeing on a day-to-day basis, you know, slowly um, things go down. And... Uh, it was. It's a lot of work. It's 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 very hard, but it also allowed her the pre grieving process. I mean, she saw months ahead. You know where things were headed. Um, so it doesn't negate the grieving process once the passing happens. You know that's still that's still its own. You know they're they're very distinct. You, there is no preparing. Um, as I found out this week, <laughs> but sometimes I think. Recognizing that death is truly inevitable, I think there's that's a type of grieving process right there, and and I and doesn't that help at least in in being able to talk about these things? Because if you're in total denial, then chances are you're not going to be receptive to talking about it. Right, right. Um, there seems to be, you know, from what I've seen. Uh, just you know, there, there's not a whole lot of in between ground where the recognition that death occurs, uh, that it's part of the circle, and we can talk about it um, dispassionately doesn't doesn't seem to be the norm. Um, you know, I, I have no doubt that there are those having those conversations, and that's that's kind of cool. Um, there are those of us who, within a spiritual context, look at death and. Um, look at the the Buddhist you know, concept of, of impermanence, uh, and and so we look at it and meditate upon you know our mortality and and uh, uh, for spiritual growth uh, as a way of actually living better, you know, having better living alive time um, on the planet. And then there are those who who. Deny, deny, deny. You know, um, don't want. And our, we like to deny a lot. <laughs> you know? So you're saying there's not much middle ground in there? It, uh, not in my experience, where there's intellectually, you know, based conversations that are, you know, not not internalized and just, 
you know this is death and i know what's going to happen and uh it's it's you know to me um deathing is is kind of an uh, is, there's an all or nothingness to it you're either gonna really look at it or you're not <laughs> um, kind of like right? you're either gonna die or you're not yeah yeah and, you know it's gonna you know creep up on you and it's like oh darn you know i'm 80 now and i guess it's around the corner uh, because i have emphysema or heart disease or whatever um so a lot of people um uh are caught by surprise um you know usually there's some time to to work through some things which is kind of cool um the, the the plus of of you know chronic illness if there is such a thing um i know with you know hiv in my case um yeah i had time to look at some stuff uh, which was kind of cool um, I got to, to meditate on my mortality a lot, you know, and the idea that, you know, if I'm not here in five years, what does that look like? What do I want out of the whole, the, out of the next five years that I am? Uh, you know, there's that whole, I mean, that's a meditation to me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, I've got five years. What am I going to do with it? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, the, which is enough time to do just about anything, um, short of becoming a brain surgeon. Uh, <laughs> uh or an astronaut, um, but it's not a whole lot of time that you got time to waste either. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's not like, well, you know, let me, you know, watch all those seasons of Breaking Bad that I missed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> New Mexico drugs. Yeah, it's all, it's, speaking it's all part of, those, of the story. Yes. Yeah, speaking <laughs> of those kind of stories, this is the Magical Mystery Tour. I'm speaking with Ken Mangano. He's a Goddard student. And we're talking about his stories, <laughs> whatever they <laughs> may be as they unfold. So you've experienced a lot of death in your life. You've seen a lot of death. Yeah, yeah. I remember the early days of, of AIDS. And you've probably um, seen a lot of your friends die. Yeah. I had, I had a friend in San Diego who also had HIV much of his life, and he literally watched all of his friends die. And he experiences a lot of guilt. Like, yeah. why me? Why? Survivor's guilt, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My best friend growing up, his brother was a couple years older than, than us and was gay. And he had a crowd of maybe eight guys that all went to high school together, went to college together. I mean, they just had a long, long history as, as a group. Um, and every one of them, but, but uh, my friend's brother uh, died uh and 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 he wasn't and his, my friend's brother wasn't even infected um so that i can't imagine how hard that must have been uh when it's your 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 inner circle is so affected um you know which is a bit of an understatement i guess when everybody died mm-hmm. uh but but yeah i don't know what that i don't have that experience um survivor's guilt wasn't part of my experience at all uh, by time that might have been the case, I had gotten to a place of okay, um, what do I get? What do I do around this? I need to do something. Um, how do I? How do I address this from my physical, spiritual, emotional perspectives, um, so so that I can do something that kind of validates this whole journey. Um, the time so and then that's what continues that's all that continues so what is your spiritual practice at this point and and we from there we can look into 
Oh, it's How it's a, connected it's a to mesh, death and dying. Mesh of things. <laughs> um, you know, uh, born into Roman Catholicism, <laughs> 12 years of Catholic schooling. Um, thought I was going to be a priest for a long time, and my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, um, certainly uh, encouraged that. Uh, she had me as the first American pope. Um, <laughs> and then at uh, 15, found out that you could like boys. So I, I literally grew up, and and I have, and and why I'm more gentle around a lot of things that I see have happened within the Catholic Church and uh, and some of the sexual abuse. Well, I don't condone it, and and certainly um, believe that that uh, the consequences are, are necessary. You know, are, are part of the deal, um, both on a personal and as a on an institutional level. I can see how things played out because they did for me. I literally grew up thinking you liked girls or you became a priest. That was your choices. Um, and I knew I didn't like girls in that way. So, you know, priest said it was. Uh, and then at 15, I found out you could like boys. <laughs> so, so I said, screw the priest said. <laughs> Why would I do that? <laughs> Only to be told later that, you know, well, you can have lots of sex while you're... <laughs> and it's like, Why? You know, if I'm, if I'm making a promise on that level not to... Why would I, you know, that's that's like bad karma stuff. <laughs> you know, you don't promise, you know, some higher power uh, one thing and then know that because you can, you just do the other. Um, so so yeah, I try to try to live a little bit in, in integrity a little bit more than that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm big into um, this idea of male energy and responsibility and accountability. Um you know, my my views around that have kind of developed in that we went through the period where we had to develop our feminine energy and and our compassion and and uh, nurturing uh, capabilities as men, and that's great, and it, and it was incredibly necessary. Um, another you know instance of the baby being thrown out with the, with the bathwater, and that the male energy um, of of accountability and responsibility and integrity you know the virtues that i kind of assign to male energy sort of things uh, if that's possible to split them and i think it is for me anyway um that uh that those things have kind of gone by the wayside that our young men are not being raised to be good men you know uh whatever that means to to you so you're talking about honoring the male energy but yeah. doing it in a very responsible and yeah. integral way. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, because I, there, there, there. At least there was, and I mean, it may still be going on. This, I right, feminizing men mm-hmm. to reject their masculinity because it's evil. Right. Um, well, not, not necessarily that's evil, but that it's excessive. It, it's, it's part of the right, patriarchal, right. Yeah. Uh, colonialist m- mentality, and therefore it needs to be repressed. Right. Not, right. not honored in a responsible way. That, that, that it's not, it's not possible to be a responsible, responsible and masculine. Well, or something like that. I mean, it's not even that severe in my mind. Um, it's not about suppression or repression or, or, or any of that. While we did have to learn um, uh, because of how society played things out as men that we could cry, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that we could be nurturing, that we could be compassionate people, um, 
that 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 wasn't what was portrayed to us growing up as as part of who we could be as as men um what happened is we yeah we learned that and that's and that's great and important and valid and necessary um certainly necessary in the world we live in um but what was just maybe unconsciously left by the wayside um were were the parts of being a man um that traditionally had been recognized that were good you know um the the, the parts of, of you know responsibility you know that that um it wasn't that that you can't take care of yourself that my job is to take care of you because you can't but that i want to you know that as a man this is this is my energy that that um it's in doing you know um uh, so you can, doer, be, you can yeah. be strong and yeah. caring yeah 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 that um, that it's it's not male versus female right. it's male and female right celebrating as, both as as one thing yeah. that yeah. somehow or other in this world they got manifested physically in two separate exactly. things but the energies of masculinity and femininity are not separate right. they they actually are integral and because i i, I identified as male-bodied mm -hmm. um uh those energies are, are part of who, are a big part of a bigger part of who I am as opposed to if I were um, female bodied. Mm -hmm. um, but there are lots of men who are very effeminate, and there's lots of women who are right. very masculine. So that can change. But, but what looks like on the but appearance doesn't doesn't yeah yeah I which <laughs> I just contradicted myself I recognize it but what what you know appearance or mannerisms or or the way one holds themselves. Um, Presentation itself does not, you know, necessarily uh, be the, be the deciding factor. You know, it's it's how I internally identify. Um, so 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 yeah, um, you know, men who are seemingly effeminate are no less men um, in in many ways. So so uh, although it's great. That they that that there is a a level of understanding that the the nurturing and compassion side, understanding that your word is your bond, is is you know to me very I mean just the way it sounds sounds very male energy sort of placement, but is also incredibly important, um, you know uh, not that that doesn't apply to female body people, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, your word is your word. But uh, I think those who are grounded in feminine energy already knew that, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. They would never say it if it wasn't, you know, from the from a place of integrity. And <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. Or maybe they're a little more in touch with the feeling connected yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I'm. Uh, I mean, there's definitely a level of superiority in women that I've, uh, you know, and and and. People who identify uh, with with more female energy is there's a level of maturity over us <laughs> for sure. It's, In some so, ways, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, uh, I mean, I'm talking to some women this week who unconsciously uh, the, the the situation was created where there was a an age range of uh, with, within the small group of three or four. There was you know from the the young to the elder. Um, and it was not a conscious effort to make happen, but they recognized it and honored it 
and women have always done that. Uh, and our society has it that you know, especially as a gay man over fifty, I'm I'm not, I'm invisible uh, in many circles. <laughs> so uh, our youth don't look to us, you know. And in, in, in we've lost so much in male in, in male society. We've lost so many of the you know. We, there is there are no coming of age rituals uh, in Western in, in Western world. Um, to honor right bar mitzvah <laughs> right there right. you know <laughs> which is but so grand that's so grounded in religion that that is it's not you know the 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 rite of passage as a as a as a from boy to to man um is is barely recognizable mm. um but those things you know still exist those rituals still exist those, those ideas still exist um and that's you know just another part of what I think is kind of important, um, uh, you know, when you develop yourself <laughs> to try to be the best you can be, then you know it goes further to where you'll you'll have the knowledge and the intuition developed, and those <laughs> the, the the circle around you has been, it will have been chosen that will create the good deathing experience as well. It all becomes who you are. Um, you know, when that kind of stuff isn't looked at, then yeah, then you're leaving a lot of stuff up to chance at the end. So I'm uh, wondering how to put this into words. How does this awareness and recognition and acknowledgement of the possibilities of death and dying help to make a better world? Hmm. I think as I, as I was, when when we look at, at a lot of traditions, let's let's put it this way, a lot of traditions have recognized that in trying to create a good deathing experience, um, you're creating good living experience as well. Um, you know, again, referencing Buddhism. Uh, my 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 limited knowledge um it is not my primary practice um uh, but my limited knowledge is is that that buddhism has looked at death a lot over the years um and so they're my go-to experts <laughs> you know is is the buddhist path is, is you know when it comes to death you go to who knows stuff and since that has been a major major focus in buddhism uh throughout the the centuries um i trust it a lot um, as as some of you know, uh, as the experiences and the knowledge being valid, um, it's not just one or two. It's 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 you know all of Buddhism has has focused on this, just, or maybe not every part of Buddhism, but a lot of Buddhism, throughout centuries, um, there has been major thought involved in that. Right, with the recognition that that good dying allows for good living. I mean, you know, understanding you know the some universal laws apply. You know, the law of karma, you know, um, is is just one basic universal law that that, that no one avoids. And um, that word can sometimes you know be played with and messed up and and. Um, and and attached to Buddhism only, and uh, you know, so the law of karma uh, of cause and effect, um, kind of basic science stuff. Uh, it is a it's kind of a universal law. So knowing that, 
you know that that creating a good deathing experience if you especially if you are of a tradition that believes in something is to come and that what we do uh affects that um in whatever way uh meditation on deathing um shows you a better way of living you know it shows you that, that, that you know it's not a bad idea to be a good person um not in the traditional christian heaven and hell you know if you're bad you're going to get punished for eternity idea um but more in the in the buddhist tradition of the bodhisattvas um that that if uh who have who are you know saintly beings and enlightened beings who have decided you know i'll continue the cycle of reincarnation until all people have been lifted up um it's like spiritual social work yeah yeah (laughs) in the world I mean, I think that's, you know, uh, this is the first time this crossed my mind that this is kind of the idea of the saints. Um, it's been kind of overlooked as, as far as that part goes, but, you know. It's, and, like, it's kind of like the ultimate paying it forward thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and even if not incarnating physically, there's an intercessory, you know, capacity, you know, um, uh, I mean, even Course in Miracles talks, uh, as far as the person of Jesus, um, uh, you know, I don't worship me, be like me, you know, which which is even in the in the Christian Bible, <laughs> you know, um, all this and more you can do, sort of thing. So, so the the possibilities for us are all there. I mean, we're all meant to be enlightened beings. Um, that's seems and some to me say to be that we the, are. Yeah, we uh, well, are. We just. That's our connection, yeah. We're yeah. just uh, yeah, we foggy, <laughs> right? Temporarily forgot, you know. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, the, the 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 cute little story of that that why we have that little dent between our, our uh, in our upper lip, right underneath the, our nose, is you know when the angel you know touches you and goes shh, don't remember, you know, and and so for during this incarnation we forget who we really are, that we are gods. Um, so, so you know, uh, there's lots of references to that from all sorts of traditions. Um, so, to be the best person I can be, whatever that looks like, you know, I, I mean, it's got nothing, and that doesn't have to be attached to any kind of spirituality. Um, just, just, just yeah, to, to live in 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 integrity mm-hmm. um, seems like like a pretty worthy darn goal. And it's something that we can do. Yeah. There's there there are a lot of people who talk about that true morality true ethical behavior is not possible without some kind of religious foundation and it doesn't it's not true for no, me at no, all no i don't find that to be true no. um, you know there, there are just some good ways of living um despite whatever one may believe is the the payoff or punishment afterwards um which is i don't know just kind of beyond my comprehension of either really um so so uh you know what what looking at death does for me is it it allows me to set some priorities you know who do i want to be this this time you know who do i want to be in this life if this is my only incarnation if it's you know a once and done deal and then you just to dust you, you return you know um don't i want to be you know the best i can be um, you know what's what's the goal? Is it to get the most stuff? 
You know, is that the happiness? Um, I think we pretty well established that that doesn't. <laughs> well, you can't take it with you. Yeah. We, and it doesn't even make you happy while you're here. I mean, that becomes the goal and, and, and a goal that you can never finish, you can never attain because there's always more, you mm-hmm. know, the grasping, the, you know, the, yeah. um, the attachment to the stuff. So, so the search, uh, the, the search to find real meaning yeah something that lasts i've seen it you know play out in people um with real sad results you know this will you know well if i got this i'll be happy and that we count that as even in in relation well if i had a partner i'd be happy not really (laughs) and partners die too yeah yeah yeah. they come and go they're in permanent so how do we how do we find and if you're looking for them for your happiness they're gonna go sooner than they die probably (laughs) yeah yeah so how yeah, so it boils down to this thing, this combination of, you know, if we have, if we see the finiteness of, of our lives, the impermanence of our lives, and and also looking for some meaning that isn't ephemeral. Right, right. Where do we right. find that? How do we find that? What? We, we are surrounded by examples of it, <laughs> you know, um, uh, here being a great place for that. I mean, I talking about Goddard. Yeah, Goddard. Uh, How, yeah, um, talk about that. That I've had this eight days, or you know, for me, ten days, being the first one of of being in the company of levels of wisdom and compassion and and caring and and support and all sorts of things that that is not the way I will experience life when I leave today, mm-hmm. when I return to my regular life. I have some wonderful, loving people in my life. Um, I, the intensity here, the, the vibrational level here at, at Goddard is of a much higher uh, quality so that um, intense relationships, intimacy is established real quickly with other people you share things that you would never think of sharing in the, in the world um you know right off it's you know no matter how you know how you're out how, how out you may be um when you establish that intimacy so quickly here uh when you, when that safety is here and 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 the vibrational level is so high um your sharing is of a level that's really deep and um, usually it can take a long time to establish that level of trust with someone to share such, such deep, you know, such, such deep stuff about yourself. Here it seems to be easily accessed um, because of the type of people you're with. The, the is it the people? What, what it, why, is it, why is it so, why does it happen s- immediately when you first come here everybody what is it about yeah Yeah. like i said goddard calls you you don't find goddard um i think those who find goddard and think of trying it because you know because it seems like a nice place and people seem friendly um it's really kind of cute and and they don't i'm sure they don't last if this is not if this type of experience doesn't resonate to you if this is uncomfortable to you to a greater greater degree um then you're not going to stay deep yeah. inner self-exploration yeah, yeah you're not going to stay it's not uh-huh. just the study model it's about a way of being mm. um and 
the people uh, that are committed to Goddard um, from the faculty and those who return semester after semester as students uh, and those who work here and are around here because it can't but rub off to some extent. So are they modeling, are faculty modeling this for students or are students, or do you think the students that, that do come here already have it in them and and as soon as they show up, they recognize that this is the space that they've always been looking for. Right. I think that is the case. Okay. We, we, we know ourselves enough to know when we're home. You know, and, and we you come recognize here each other. And it's like, wow, you know, <laughs> I can just settle into this and, and be me and be authentic and, and um, not have to worry so much about judgment. I'm not, you know, we all judge. Um, we judge less. <laughs> you know? I've been hearing a lot of talk by a number of people about how to extend the sense of community beyond these short residencies. Yeah, um, and we're in a great time to do that with the technology we have at hand, um, for sure. Um, I I, I wonder, you know, if if this was always the experience of Goddard, what did it look like? Um, Well, there was, at that time, there was, you know, full residency, there was full residency. Um, But even the idea when when it seems... I think it was very different then, because I was around, and it was... was it was more of a kind of like a, a hippie college yeah. at that point. I think this level, this deep commitment to this kind of self-exploration is new. Well, that was just the evolution of what, or it's a, of how it's, it, a yeah. it's a greater evolution right. of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think mean, that, that ideal that, was already here, yeah. but I think it's it's evolved yeah. to this point, which is incredibly beautiful. It I mean, really is. It and, really is. Yeah. And I can say that having experienced that. And actually, being part of a community that that continued it for years, and it's so it's about, about as good yeah. as it gets, as yeah. far as I can tell, I, I, in this world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I mean, I don't know. They're, I don't like the word utopian a whole lot. Right. <laughs> I, I try not to right. go there. Um, you know, are there but are it, there shortcomings? Are yeah, are there shortcomings? Of course, there are. Yes. You know? um, but that's in the nature of being them, a human. Most of them are pretty minor stuff. Eh, because you know, that's earth, earth stuff. The way cares? we learn is by yeah. by testing the boundaries, yeah. by making mistakes, by <coughs> by learning from experience. Yeah. Um, you know, if if I were to look for fault in Goddard, I'm sure I could list it. Most of it's pretty first world problems. You know, um, you know, I don't like Indian night for food in the cafeteria. <laughs> sort of thing. It's like, oh, really? Our pet biases yeah, surfacing. Really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I tend to try to stay away from all that level of, of, of energy. Um, and we, we have to, we deal with that in our, with ourselves in our lives right, all right. the time anyway. Right. Um, one of my, my students in, in my group is looking at the history of beauty and plastic surgery. She's been involved in that business for a number of years and has grown within herself to the point of um, how do I do this? Um, because it's not about rejecting the validity of beauty uh, from a physical standpoint and plastic surgery, but how do I do it in a deeper level, at, at a deeper level? Where, where it's not the chasing of some ridiculous idea of beauty that'll never be attained. Um, how do I, how do I use this, this knowledge I have around this business to make people go deeper, you know, or invite people to go deeper? You know, yeah, you can't make anybody do it. So, uh, and that's my 
go around death and dying. So how do I invite people to look at this? Um, those who are able to, those who want to. Well, it's been fun talking with you. This has been great. It's I've been speaking by. with Ken Mangano. He's a Goddard student. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Time the, flies. It did. It flies when you're having fun. <laughs> it did. Um, shout out to Annie on the road uh, back into Canada. And a shout out to Carla Haas Moskowitz, who's been turning me on to mm. this wonderful world of education and, and what, what's happening here at Goddard yeah. and these amazing, amazing people that Goddard's attracting. Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty fortunate person. So thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit. And thanks to all out there. Yeah, thank you all for listening. And until next time, this has been the Magical Mystery Tour. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>